This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer at Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, folks, today we have a treat for you. We have Vicki Pisowitz and Shanna Paget from Value Capture, and we're going to be talking about systems thinking and center of habitual excellence. And I'm really excited about this conversation. But before we jump right into it, Vicki and Shanna, if you would tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your role there at Value Capture, and, um, and we'll jump into the conversation. Great. Thank you, Skip. Um, it's just wonderful to be here. And uh, thank you for inviting us uh, into this conversation. Uh, my name is Vicki. My background is in mechanical and aerospace engineering, but I've been in healthcare for like the last 23 years. Uh, I started this journey at Alcoa when we were the safest company in the world. And we were benchmarking the world for the best management system, the best business system that would, would allow for a learning organization um, to sustain those results and to be able to keep everybody engaged and, and learning. Um, we did find Toyota, and so I was really lucky to be part of a group that learned the principles of the Toyota production system directly from uh, Toyota and spread that within the system. And when I was there, um, if you're familiar, Kent Bowen and Steve Spear were also helping Toyota understand how they might be able to teach these ideas faster. So was able to be part of that wonderful um, experience of codifying the principles in the rules and use, uh, which was published with the Harvard Business School in decoding the DNA of the Toyota production system. Um, Mr. O'Neill was retiring from Alcoa and wanted to apply these ideas in healthcare back in the year 2000 and asked if I would help make that transition and, and see what we could do in our community. Our community had formed a, a partnership with the PRHI um, in terms of uh, thinking about how all the different stakeholders could come together uh, and create a safer environment. And so it was a wonderful opportunity. I went uh, then into consulting and took a time out in life. My 90-year-old uh, grandmother went in for elective surgery, had an heir and spent the next eight years, my mom and I, taking care of our three 90-year-old, my three 90-year-old grandparents, um, which was just a wonderful experience, but got to see healthcare from a completely different perspective. Um, but I'm back now, and it's been wonderful to meet all the people that have been working on these ideas and thinking about uh, how to make healthcare better, especially for the healthcare workers that uh, really just dedicate um, everything to uh, caring for other human beings. So great to be here. And that's sort of my story. Thanks, Vicki. And I'm Shanna Paget. I work at Value Capture now. I came out of college um, as a clinical laboratory scientist and spent a lot of years in a reference lab and then went into hospital laboratory. Um, and I was exposed to lean back then. I just didn't know it. We called it things like um, TQM and I did quality circles and I got to learn all sorts of statistical analysis, but I was just doing my job. I didn't know there was a deeper science behind it. 
and got exposed to the Toyota production system when I volunteered to be on a team. Somebody was like, oh, join this lean team. We're going to redesign work. And that was work in my my space with my peers, what I did. So I'm like, sure, I, I love an adventure. And so I signed up for that. And, and in 2004, my life took a took an amazing turn to learn more about the work that you all have been doing for a long time. And I just was exposed to it and didn't even know. So now I work at Value Capture for seven years. I'm uh, Vice President of Advisory Services and excited to be here today and part of this conversation. Well, Vicki and Shannon, once again, thank you very much for being on the podcast. We're, we're so glad you guys are here. And although our <laughs> our our listeners can't see this, I'm yeah. holding up a value capture book. It's uh, a playbook for habitual excellence, which is a uh, it's a collection of talks that uh, Mr. O'Neill gave through the years. And uh, Vicki, that kind of leads me into my my first question. I know you spent time at Procter and Gamble and then you were at Alcoa and everybody Almost everybody's aware of the great work that that Mr. O'Neill did and you guys at Alcoa making it, as you said, become one of the safest companies um, in the world, if not the safest company in the world. And so really two questions. Number one, what was it like working with and for Mr. O'Neill? And and tell me a little bit about the Pittsburgh Regional Healthcare Initiative. How did how did that come about and how did Mr. O'Neill get associated with that? Yeah, what a wonderful question. Thanks. I've had a number of experiences and uh, mentors, including Mr. O'Neill, that really have changed my life. Um, when we were at Alcoa, it was uh, not only had we become the safest company in the world, but the values that are involved in respecting every individual and allowing people to be successful at work allowed the whole organization to be habitually excellent in everything that we did and everything that we pursued. And so um, that really was a, a great experience to have firsthand. If you're not familiar with um, Paul and, and how he approached everything, he basically had three questions that kind of guided um how you would look at the world and how you would think about creating excellence in your organization. The first question was, can everybody, well, can everybody in the organization answer yes to these three questions? One, am I treated with dignity and respect by every person I encounter without regard to race, gender, educational attainment, rank, or any other distinguishing feature? Uh, the second question was, am I given the tools, training, resources, encouragement, et cetera, to make a contribution to the organization. And he would always say, this is the, the important part that adds meaning to my life. And then the third question was, am I recognized every day for the contribution by someone whose opinion matters to me? And the that was um, laid out really explicitly in all the work that we did. And so as we were thinking about customers, we were creating value we were having meaning in our lives and we were working together, you know, across systems and, and barriers and really got outstanding results, not just in safety, but sales and growth and market capitalization um, at the same time. Uh, he was just a person that really took respect for humanity and respect for every individual and, and, and allowed the conditions in the organization to thrive in every in every way. 
the Pittsburgh Regional Healthcare Initiative was um, started with the Jewish Healthcare Foundation and some of the folks that are at Value Capture now, Ken Siegel and Jeff Webster. And basically a coalition in Pittsburgh got started. Um, the Institute of Medicine came out. I think it was the Institute of Medicine in 1999 where there were close to 100,000 people that were dying every day or dying every year from medical mistakes. And mm -hmm. our community had an organization of leaders that came together that were all the stakeholders, um, uh, the employers that paid for health care, the health providers, uh, the health systems, the insurance leaders, um, the regulators uh, and government and basically signed a charter to say that they would work together to eliminate medication errors, nosocomial infections and um, pursue excellence in a couple uh, clinical quality areas. And so when they did that, they said, hey, we got an organization and a CEO and a leader right in our backyard. That's the safest company in the world. What can we learn from them? And reached out to Paul and asked him to join the initiative and help uh, lead that effort. Vicki, you you have such a tremendous background, and you, you said early on that you were one of, I guess, maybe the last cohort to be trained uh, directly from um, leaders in, in Japan on the Toyota production system. Um, and so my, my question is, you know, we've had some conversations, many conversations on Toyota production system and lean and what hospitals are doing and how maybe the degree to which healthcare is utilizing these methodologies. Um, what can you tell us is, is the main difference in, in the way I guess it's taught there versus maybe how we teach it here? And is it just a degree of intensity that's the difference? They're all in on it versus us where we kind of dabble in it. Uh, what is the what do you see is the, the difference between, I guess, the way we embrace this versus um, how they do in Japan and, and other industries. Yeah, absolutely. And Shanna, please like chime in too at any point. I think the first thing that, you know, we learned at Alcoa and that I was fortunate to have TSSC um, work with us in healthcare and um, in, the, in my consulting company is that the respect for humanity is the driving force. And I think you see that in their organizations and I think you see that in healthcare too. Um, it really is about um, people and caring for people and developing people. It's just hard to figure that out. And so the way that I learned it was very like wax on, wax off. So, you know, with a very intense apprenticeship style mentoring that you basically solve problems um, and they got bigger, small problems, and they got bigger and bigger. And you basically learn the ideas and the principles through tacit problem solving. Um, and that was one of the things that the rules in use and the and HBS helped with because they helped to codify the principles. And so I think you know in healthcare, just like other industries, you might get diverted on the tools and mm -hmm. and maybe some of the systems the you know the some of the other things but it does really still come back to people and it does come back to how you're actually learning to problem solve and think about it um at, as a system as well i think healthcare has some really particularly um 
hard problems to solve that maybe some other industries don't. Um, and so when we think about this root causes of healthcare, this is just me talking, you know, I think about really moving towards that prevention mindset, which is how do we actually start with perfect health and keep perfect health from the day that you're born? And so I think we need to, you know, maybe work a little bit more towards understanding what that means. And TPS would tell us to start there with the root cause. Um, but I think there's intractable silos in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You have consumers yeah. that have you have consumers that have need the health that's paid by their employers that's provided by health systems where providers may or may not be part of that health system that has an intermediary of health insurance that's regulated by the government. And so in organizations that are all under one roof, that, that's a lot easier to solve in healthcare figuring out how to get these silos on the same page with the the goal of value towards the consumer with the same language and way to see the system and understand the system is a really is a not is a, a I think a bigger challenge. Hey Jeff, what I just heard is that healthcare is unique and that none of this stuff applies to us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh no, I hope you didn't <laughs> no. hear that because the well, principles are the same. No, no, no. And and and, and Shanna, <laughs> Shanna and Vicky, you know, we, we were gonna talk about systems design and systems thinking and you know that how important is it when we're thinking about improving anything, whether it's you know, a process on a ward or whether it's a process on a, an assembly line, how important is it to look at it as a system? And, and, and you know, a system ha- is a collection of parts working together to to achieve the, the goal of the system, whatever that is. And, and, you know, we hear, well, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Shanna? You want me to take that, <laughs> Shanna, or you want to get with it? Just before we dive in there, I would just say, I think the other thing in healthcare that I, I think we grapple with is sort of the science and the art. And I certainly don't want to attempt sure. to school a couple of physicians on that, but like there, we do grapple with what are the processes where we can apply lean and where are the places where it couldn't possibly apply. Yeah. And I think by creating those sort of false equivalencies, we get in our own way of applying what should be uh, simple, trans, you know, translatable, transmittable, repeatable. Um, but we we create some barriers ourselves. So there are the silos that Vicky talked about, and then there are the, the the things we create on our own that we do have control over. We could behave differently in those spaces. So not to go back to that, I just don't want to miss. Everything is not intractable. Some of it is our own making and we could do differently. Shanna, to that point, you know, I do think sometimes we'll have some issues or a a problem and we'll say, oh, this is a good lean project. We're going to we're going to bring in Skip's team to help fix this one. And then we have other ones where we just go about a normal messy way of solving it. Do other industries, do they have that dichotomy or do they do everything as a is done in the same problem solving manner? 
Vicki, this is your space. I've okay. lived my whole life in the mess. So um, what would you say? Yeah, I, th I think that's, you know, that's that's one of the challenges is that this is a way of thinking that is beyond just problem solving or like an operation strategy or a project mode. And so getting that thinking in place and 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 it deriving is the is the culture and the way of doing things throughout the whole organization, not as something separate, is a really important factor for success. And I think you see those challenges in every industry. So you're saying that I need to bring Skip into every project that we have and every problem that needs to be solved. I, no. Again, you're going to have to grow your team some more, Skip. <laughs> I think, again, just to just to make sure we're clear, right? It's the principles. And if yeah. we can apply the principles, we'll be thinking that in everything, in all work that we do. And and guys, when you, you know, the name of your company is Value Capture. So, I mean, I, that that leads me to believe that that you guys place a, a lot of emphasis on value for the customer. And, and in the in the healthcare system, our, our ultimate customer is our patients but also within within the system we have our we have our internal customers and how how important is it for us to truly define what value is not only for our patients but also within the system that we're working in at that time what value is because it seems like in, until we really understand what that is, we can't really improve the system or even design a system. Talk to us a little bit about that. Go ahead, Shanna. I just want to say I think this is the one part that, at least for me, so I can only speak about my personal journey. Grappling with the customer question has always been there. Grappling at the customer supplier connection level has been was was less evident in the early years of this for me. We really talked about the customer and then we talked about the internal customer, but we didn't necessarily talk about customer supplier pairs as the really if you can design and understand those, you can design and understand anything. And the value from each of those customer supplier pairs um, has to connect to the the endpoint, right? It's what what our final customer would pay for. So we have to have that lens in it. But when it's an internal customer supplier pair, how do they negotiate uh, me, the customer, what I need? Not necessarily the value, but this is what I need to create the value for the final customer. And it's not complicated, but we are. My experience in healthcare has been we're kind of bad at it. We, we got some things in there that prevent us just from the simplicity of a customer supplier pair that we learn through the rules and use. And Vicki, I, I don't want to get ahead of where you're going, but this is just the thing I think over 23 years now, I have really come to realize I didn't know in the early days. I could do things, I could help teams, we could get value, but we didn't necessarily get sustainable, repeatable uh, implementations of that value. I think because of that core thing, we didn't think about those pairs, those customer supplier pairs. Vicki, what did no, I miss I, on that? I know I missed no, something. That was, that was excellent. I mean, I think that fundamentally we look at if you're a customer and you have a need, 
what's the ideal way a supplier can meet that need on demand, defect free, one by one with no waste and immediately in a safe environment. And, and that in a generic principal way could really apply to all the customer supplier pairs that are required to deliver that service. And, and, and how we think about how people do work and are connected as part of the systems thinking behind that. Let's let's talk about excellence for a little bit. Um, you know, all of us may have our our moments of of greatness. Um, but how do you how do you make that a habit? How do you get from just sporadic um, good outcomes to habitual excellence? Well, I know that's one of the things we're partnering with with the people that we know. Some that we have worked with directly, and some that we're learning from. So I don't want to pretend that, you know, value capture has the the magic key to habitual excellence. But I think Mr. O'Neill had the right mindset. So uh, what is ideal and what are we doing today to try to get there using that repeatable, reliable, predictable approach? So to us, I'm really thinking about excellence as, yes, you're getting the results, you're trending the right way over time. But more importantly, what do you learn every day? right? Results are expected. What did you learn is the gift? What do we learn about the thing that went wrong? Or what did we learn about the thing that went right? Did we get lucky or did we have a hypothesis? And if we can figure that out all through the organization, all through the work we do every single day, if we can learn, not just get the result, but learn from how we got the result, then we can respond to anything. And the last few years have taught us we, we maybe don't have the kind of uh, reliability or flexibility needed to learn rapidly when the true curveballs start start coming pandemics and mm-hmm. no vaccines, no treatment. You know, I, I don't want to replay it all, but those are the kind of opportunities to see where we have learning organizations and where we have, you know, good organizations with good processes. We're going to talk about, you know, the the center of habitual excellence. Talk, tell us a little bit about that. So these are organizations where they have learned um, first to apply the principles, right? So, so what is the what are the customers' value? How do we design customer supplier pairs, whether they're complex and lengthy or or quick, mm-hmm. to meet that need one by one on demand immediately, no weight, waste, harm. Right. So the thing we want to do. But again, that secondary and more important thing, how do we learn from that every single day? And so those centers of habitual excellence are. Are. Places of of curiosity, right, there are places of wonder, of curiosity, of trying to understand what again, oftentimes when it goes well, we are like, yep, we did good. Did it go well because we had a plan or did it go well because we got lucky today? All the things lined up. And when things go wrong, because all the things lined up wrong in the Swiss cheese methodology, it really is that ability to learn and go from reactive to proactive. And I think that's really what Mr. O'Neill and I didn't work at Alcoa. I'm not an engineer. But when I came to Value Capture, I came on purpose. Right. They had a little bit of secret sauce that was different in how I was taught. Um, I went into consulting with a, a group in Johnson and Johnson 
and we used strict Toyota production. I mean, nothing unique or interesting. And quite frankly, we at Valley Capture don't have any different tools or approaches than, than I've seen elsewhere. But that desire to learn from everything gone right or wrong and then share that learning, not the story, but the thing I learned. And how do I apply that in the next set of processes or in the next system? I think that that insight about learning is is really critical. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called uh, The Right Call. It's about applying or taking lessons from sports, but being able to apply it in, in business. But um, they had a section on Pat Summit, you know, famous basketball coach, um, and sh- she said that she would rather lose a game than have a um, you know, an undefeated season because that loss gave her the opportunity to learn, you know, what was going well, what was not, what could be worked on so they could improve. Uh, she said, you know, yeah, I think at one point it was like, yeah, if we lose one, I think we can win the championship. I know if we lose two games, we can definitely win the championship. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. So, so a center of habitual Excellent. Is that something that the value capture goes in and or, or is it an evaluation or an assessment or like, sort of like a Shingo prize? Is that. So we're still designing that. I want to be really honest. Um, sure. And and the reason we believe it's necessary um, is sort of more in that um, my, my what I do is based on what I believe and what I believe is based on what I've experienced. I mean, that's a little bit of some some human psychology there. So I need a place that can help me believe something else is possible. In healthcare, we often don't we don't know if something else is possible. Um, that's been my experience, especially in the consulting part of it. Like we don't believe that we can do what Toyota did because we don't make cars and we don't believe we can do what the siding places because we don't you know what I mean? We don't make things. We make people better. Mm-hmm. So folks yeah. need that that place where they can go and see with their own eyes and and hear with their own ears how quiet it is in the ED or the kind of conversations they have when a, when something goes wrong. Um, so this the center of habitual excellence is intended to be a place for leaders to learn from each other, both through conversation and observation. I really want to stay away from that sort of um, evaluation space because it has such connotation in healthcare. Um, I, I don't know exactly what that'll look like, though. That's these are my my thoughts, and I think what's going to happen is the people that create the value are going to have a hand in designing what that center looks like. And I have hopes, so I'm going to share hopes now that we have that opportunity for leaders to maybe go to a manufacturing site that is habitually excellent. Like they've been getting better and better results for decades. There's a few of them out there. Can I, what can I see there? And what can I learn from maybe we're doing some of this work in education where it really looks different, how we think about educating kids, K-12 kids. And then maybe I can go see something in healthcare because maybe that will help me reveal the principles and the systems as opposed to getting attached to kind of the tools. Right. If I can see a similar thing in yeah. different industries. So that's a working belief hypothesis yet to be fully tested. But that's what we're we're on about with the Center of Habitual Excellence. 
Let me just add one one other thing about the the center is that um, in addition to being able to see, uh, it's important that you're able to see all the different pieces of the system in one place. Because a lot of times we'll say, we'll put uh, implement things in different ways in different silos or different pieces. And part of being able to see what's possible and being able to get those results in a way that we are learning both individually and as a system is to have that all in place. And sometimes those are hard to develop. And so these would be places where we we can we've done that and we can see see that. Hey Jeff, I was gonna say, you know, it almost sounds like that trip y'all took to Intermountain to see how they you know operated and used different yes. things. Is, is that uh, yeah it's probably a a little bit better of a framework, <laughs> but um you know, is, is that that's Shanna is the goal is to have places that are known for habitual excellence and bring others in to, to see how they operate. Right. And in that non-competitive way. So Intermountain. Yeah, are, yeah are it was totally collaborative. Well, right? Different hospitals, different sizes, different challenges, different patient mixes. But the principles apply. And if you design your systems to reflect that you can demonstrate the results over time. And and Shingo helps us design that. Toyota helps us design that. But we really believe that that is exactly that place where leaders can collaborate and learn and get real honest with each other. Um, We we hosted a site visit a couple of weeks ago where leaders were learning from, from that location and those leaders and getting real honest about what works and what doesn't work and what worked at the last system but isn't working this time right so they can learn together and and drive more rapidly toward more reliable more cost-effective healthcare. you know shannon vicky one last thing i'd like to point out that that has really you know doing these podcasts we've had people uh, in healthcare, we've had people in in all all different sectors and and i was looking back at the at the three questions that uh that Mr. O'Neill would ask, you know, am I treated with respect? Am I given the tools and the training? Am I recognized every every day? You know, those none of those have to do with. Do we hire the smartest people? Do we have the best technology? Are we the most profitable company? I mean, th- these are all culture related behaviors and and and, and principle based behaviors. And, and that that's. You know, my take home message from 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 this the short improvement journey that I've been in. And it, it's it's not the tools. It, it's the culture. It's the culture behind the tools. But um, but Vicky and Shanna, we, we would love to talk all day. We, we normally try to keep this at about 30 minutes. But, uh, you know, thank you once again for uh, being on our podcast. Uh, we hope that you that uh, you guys would be willing to come back on Um soon again because we can continue this conversation and uh you know and, and shannon as, as you guys continue to develop um you know the criteria for these centers uh, of hab- habitual excellence we would love to hear more but but based uh but um on behalf of baptist memorial Healthcare, uh thank you guys so much for being here thank you, thank you for having us <laughs>